Welcome to the Normal Christian Life Podcast with Pastor Stephen Samuel. As you listen, we know that you will be encouraged and challenged to follow the normal Christian life that Jesus offers to us. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so please visit us online at icathedral.org. You can also find useful information about our church and other resources that will help you grow in your journey with Christ. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. All of our life, we've learned that this is what it means to take up the sword of spirit. I take up the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and I learn how to speak this thing over and over. I meditate it, I meditate it, I meditate it, and then when the enemy comes against me, I just spit out all these scriptures, which is not a horrible practice, right? But that's not what the context of this passage is saying. He's not saying you take up the sword of the spirit and then you fight the devil with it. He's saying take in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, into where? Into your thinking. So who's wielding the sword? The Lord is. By his very word, what is he doing? Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Jump back to chapter 3, and I think is where he starts. Verse um, 7. Is that it? Therefore, the Holy, as the Holy Spirit says, today, who is he talking to? So let's put this in context. The writer, whether it's Paul or it's Apollos, he's talking to whom? The children of Israel. Hence, the book is called Hebrews, right? So the Hebrews is whom he's speaking to, and he says this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the days of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go stray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. So he's giving us a picture of what God's desire was with Israel. What did he do? He showed up to them and he talked to them, but they didn't believe what he said. They hardened their hearts, right? Now, before you say, well, they were just horrible people, he's about to make the perfect analogy that everybody gets stuck in this rut, right? Where they get so used to hearing God's voice that they begin to harden their hearts, right? And then read what he says here. He says, brethren, verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How do we depart from the voice of God? By just not believing what he said, right? I know this sounds really simple, but it's going to culminate here. Eve didn't believe what God said. It's not that she didn't hear. She didn't believe what she heard. And because she chose not to believe what she heard, her heart was hardened. And then the voice of the enemy comes in and all of a sudden other alternatives start looking realistic, right? So she's not believing what God is speaking and that does what? Harden hearts. And then watch what he says here in verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, where do we hear his voice? In our thinking. If we will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt and led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he did swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of their 
unbelief. God spoke, they didn't believe. God spoke, they didn't believe. Every area of your life where God is not manifesting his goodness, here's a little clue of what may be the problem. You're not believing what God is saying about it. It's not that we don't have information. It's we don't believe the information we have many times. Most of you guys, myself included, know more scriptures than probably 95% of Christians in the world. And yet with all the information we have, why is revival not broke out in America? Because it's not the lack of information. It's the lack of believing what God has said, right? And before we make it an American problem or a church problem, it has become a personal problem. Like we have to take responsibility. Am I believing what God says about who I am, about who he is, about what my family is, about what my finances? Am I believing what God says? Well, Stephen, I don't know what God says. Thus the journey begins. What is God saying? That's why abiding in God's presence every day is so important because he wants you to hear what he is saying about you. And if we don't hear it, then guess where we're stepping into? Unbelief or a lack of belief, right? Okay, so keep reading here. Therefore, verse four, chapter four, verse one, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, and he's speaking of the children of Israel. He wanted them to enter into the rest. What is the rest? Salvation. The, the rest is this constant dialogue between God and you, right? God dwelling in us, right? How peaceful would it be if you constantly heard God's voice? That would be kind of awesome. Like you had this little radio channel in your head, boop, listening to God, and all day long, you would be hearing his voice, right? Listen, that's not a far-fetched dream. That's a reality that we can dwell with him and he can dwell with us. He constantly is speaking to us. There's so many responses we would have to that. First, you think that I would have to change everything about my life. Maybe. Maybe he's gracious enough to say, let's start in one place, and as much as you want to change, as fast as you want to change it, I'm going to help you, right? The issue is never God's not speaking. The issue many times is, are we listening? And we've heard this before, but sometimes we get so used to thinking about what God wants, right? Constructing in our thinking, God might like this, not like this, that we don't ever go to the next steps asking, what are you saying? What are you saying? So can we just play that little dialogue for a minute? Here's what happens many times. We start that dialogue and all of a sudden God starts confronting things in our life that we don't really want to let go of. And then we're like, well, I know how to fix this. I just stopped talking. <laughs> Conviction will go away, right? It doesn't. It just stays there. Every time you go back, God brings up the same topic and you're like, wait a minute. I came and asked you about, about my finances and you're dealing with my pride. Like these are not even related. Can we just deal with the finances? We'll deal with pride later, Right? Because God is always discussing things that are of importance to him. And we always want to discuss the things that are important to us. But if we'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then the us stuff will get taken care of. Right? I was talking to a young man today. We talk every three months. When he gets in, down in the dumps, he calls me. It's a great, great relationship. We've been doing this for about, how old am I? 41. We've been doing this for the last 20 years. Right? 
And so we were, we were out, you know, and I'll do it for the next 20 years. I'm just, God loves people. But I looked at him at the end of his old, you know, everything that was wrong and his marriage and kids and teenage kids that are rebelling. And so I looked at him, I said, you know, it's like this. And he's in the process of buying a house or something. I said, let's say you go to this house and the walls are cracked, the doors don't shut right, the sheetrock has seams in it. And you go back to that seller and you say, listen, I'm not buying this house until all this stuff gets fixed, right? And the seller comes in and he fixes all that stuff and then a week goes by and then there it is again, right? Cracked doors, cracked walls, sheetrock, blah, blah, blah. And you go in there and you say, hey, listen, you didn't fix the problem. And the seller says to you, well, I'll fix it again. If you were smart, you would say, there's a problem with the foundation. Like, that's the problem. And I don't care how many times he promises you he's gonna float and tape the seams and straighten the pictures and shut the doors for you, it's never gonna get fixed, right? And a lot of times, it's that same way in our thinking. We keep saying to God, just fix my finances, just fix my wife, fix my husband, fix my fill in the blank. And he keeps saying, but there's a foundation problem. I'm not talking to you every day. And life is meant to be lived in constant dialogue with God. And if you're not talking to me all the time, you're gonna see the cracks come back. The pictures are gonna fall off the walls. The doors aren't gonna shut right. At first, the doors just barely don't shut right. But if you wait long enough, right, they're out of the frame. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They're bad, right? The foundation has to be fixed. And the foundation for relationship with anything and anyone in this world is first relationship with the Father. You were made to be in constant fellowship with him, right? And so as the writer of Hebrews says, listen, all these things, they happen as an example to us. It even says, he goes on and says, if Joshua gave them rest, if he was talking about the promised land that his children were going into, once they got into the promised land, it would have been over. But if Joshua hadn't given them rest, he wouldn't have spoke of another day that would come where people aspire to or look to that day where there's no more tension fighting for what brings peace. And that's the context of what he's saying here in chapter 12. Then he says, therefore, verse 11, be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And then he says in that context, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Y'all heard this passage before, right? The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when Paul says, take in the word of God, he's saying, let this thing come inside of you into your thinking and separate between what is your thought and his thought. That's a pretty precise mechanism. Because when I go into God's word, there's so many times I have great thoughts and God's thoughts are not that thought. And he says, listen, I'm here to cut that out because that I can see the end of where that thought leads and it's destruction. And when I put a thought in your mind, it's gonna pull all those, it's separate between your intents and my intents. It still to this day boggles scientists where the soul is in the human body. Is it all in your mind? It's not, because it, throughout your body, there's physical responses to the way that you feel, right? If something tragic happens in your life, you feel it physically in your gut. Your brain's not in your gut, right? And what is the thing that separates the soul from the spirit? Only the word of God. 
And so when Paul says, take up the word of God or take in the word of God, he's saying, let God's word come into your life, come into your thinking, that thought, that constant dialogue in your head. You have to keep injecting or allowing, I should say, God's word to speak to you, right? If you don't allow God's word to come into that regular conversation, the scriptures to come into that conversation regularly, then you're gonna go off on a little rabbit trail. Some people have been on rabbit trails for years, I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor, a friend of mine today, and he said, we were talking about this concept of people who really follow Jesus because they have constant dialogue with Jesus, right? And people who are following Jesus because somebody else has constant dialogue with Jesus, right? And listen, not to condemn one or the other, but when we say following Jesus, we mean having a constant dialogue with Jesus, Right? If I say, follow my voice, I have to keep talking and you have to keep listening or you'll lose me, right? When Jesus says to the disciples, follow me, it was a physical act. They had to get up, they had to follow him, but then he's giving them what to do in life. He's doing what? Speaking to them and they have to do what? Listen to him. He says, by this, they will know that you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my words, right? And my words abide in you. By this, they will know that you are my disciples. How do we know that someone's following Jesus? They're a disciple. If the word of God is abiding where? In their conscious thought. And their conscious thought is in what? The word of God, right? So how do we get to our minds to a place where God's word is functioning, cycling regularly in our thoughts? The bad news is it doesn't happen overnight. The good news is it can happen quickly. How do you get to that place? Well, look here, the practice. Regularly reading God's word. I know this is rocket science. Regularly reading God's word. Listen, since I was five years old, every day the word of God was read to me. Every day, until I could read it to myself. Every day I would walk by my dad's office. He would be sitting in his his study reading the word. I'd walk by the kitchen table every morning at 6 a.m., and my mom was there reading the word. They put scriptures, this is so hilarious, but it's fun. They would put scriptures on everything. They would buy pictures and put scriptures on them. Like, mom, that's not how that works. This is America. We buy pictures and they stay the way they are. She never got it, right? She would put scriptures on the wall, scriptures everywhere, because she wanted the word of God to be in my face all the time, speaking to me. In my living room, you walk past the couch and it says on the back, these fishermen says, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. First Peter chapter two, nine or something, right? Scriptures were everywhere. Why? Because it was to get God's word in our heart. When I was in elementary school, every week we had to memorize a scripture. And I would love to say it was that scripture in John, Jesus wept. No, it was like Romans chapter eight, verses one through six, right? And you know what? We got it in our heart. Now, my parents were great parents. They taught that discipline of getting God's word in my heart, right? But that's not enough. It's not just getting it in, it's meditating on the word. Step number two, write down what is significant to you as you're memorizing, or I'm sorry, as you're reading God's word. Here's what I find, and we've got all ways to do it now. You got apps, you got Bible programs, you got actual Bibles, you got digital Bibles, you got whatever, but you write it down. There's something that happens when you begin to write God's word down. It begins to get registered into your soul. This is what it is. This is what it is, right? We begin to write God's word. 
the writing of God's word, I mean, the psychologically, the impact is you're starting to memorize a little bit every time you write, right? Because you're reading and you're writing. And then what happens? Memorize what you want to be established in your thoughts. Find passages that speak to the battles that are happening in your head. If you're battling pride, there's plenty of scriptures on humility. Submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? You can Google it, right? Very easy. Scriptures on, fill in the blank, right? Everything from loneliness to anger to pride to whatever, right? But I go to the scriptures and I begin to meditate on them. I begin to read them first, write them down, and then I begin to memorize God's word. Fun fact. Did you know when they translated the King James Version, the reason for the these and thous, because they didn't speak in these and thous. Old English, they didn't speak like that. They only wrote like that. You know why they wrote like that when they translated the King James Version? So it'd be easier to memorize. In fact, there's a poetic sequence that they use in, in most of the Psalms and most of the scriptures. So when you're reading it, it's easier to memorize. So believe it or not, it is actually easier to memorize the King James than any other translation. It's just not easy to read many times because you're like, what does this even mean, you know? But they wrote it that way so the church would memorize, right? But when you memorize God's word, here's what happens. You go to the next level of not just knowing it, but you begin to try to understand it, right? And you'll be amazed many times as you're memorizing, revelation begins to come. So when I was in high school, I was in ninth grade, starting ninth grade, and I wasn't brilliant by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, there was a good stretch of imagination to believe that I would pass, right? And I remember going to my principal. I was in a little, little Christian school in Orange, community school in Orange, and my principal, her name was Catherine Stewart. And uh, I don't know why she let me come into her office at any time. She just did. Maybe she thought I was a helpless little kid, you know? And uh, so I'd go into her office, and I was really struggling. I remember I was, was ninth grade, so I was doing what? Um, not algebra yet. It was like, uh, well, it was just basic math, whatever. And I was really struggling. Um, and so I went into her office and said, hey, I'm really struggling with, you know, math and the, the math teacher, whatever. And she said, in her old Texan, South Texas draw, you know, here's what you need to do, Stephen. And uh, so she says, I want to challenge you to memorize one scripture a week. And she said, just pick whatever scripture, get an index card, write it down, put it in your pocket, walk around and memorize one scripture a week. And so like an idiot, I believed her and began to do it, right? So I would find scriptures and I would begin to just memorize them. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And I would just begin to memorize and memorize. When I graduated high school, I graduated with honors. Had a scholarship to Lamar. I wasn't the smartest kid in class, but I definitely wasn't the dumbest kid in the class. And I would love to tell you that I was just a scholar of scholars when it came to studying. I would sit down many times with a book and not know what the heck they were talking about. But as I would read, the Holy Spirit would begin to speak in that voice, in my thoughts, and say, this is what's happening. Right? The Bible says, the entrance of his word gives light. To what? To our understanding. When we take time to allow God into the conversation of our thought process... His thoughts become our thoughts, and that makes you smart, right? And I remember when I graduated high school, I was, surprisingly, when they showed up, and they were like, you know, you get your little graduation gowns, and they hand me this yellow ribbon-looking thing, and I was like, what is that for? That's how dumb I was, right? Well, it says honor on it. I'm like, what did I do? They're like, you got honors. 
in your grades at three point whatever, seven whatever something. Listen, it changed the way that my mind would process. To this day, it's altering the way I think. And listen, God's word is designed to do that. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be obedient to let it in. Let the sword of the spirit, the word of God, come into your thinking. Divide between your soul and your spirit. The last thing, take time to process what you've memorized. And many times, listen, the reason I read a lot of books and stuff is other people have taken time to process what God's word has said, right? And I'm putting that into my thinking, putting that into my thinking. Here's a fun little thing. We'll we'll stop there and probably do questions. Your mind never gets rid of information. Everything that goes into your mind, whether you pictures you see, things that you hear, your mind is always recording it. The difference between smart people and not so smart people is their ability to recall what's been put in. That's it. And the process of recalling what's been put in, synapses in your brain, one cell going to the next cell, the, the speed at which they go, all those things are connected to help you live in this conscious state of what really is going on, right? I don't have time to get into all the psychology, and number two, I'm not a doctor, right? But here's what I'm saying. When God's word comes in, it begins to bring life to parts of your brain that never had enlightenment. It's the only thing that does that. There's no equivalent methodology to awaken parts of your brain except the memorizing and studying of God's word. Because Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirits and they are life, right? You remember when the disciples, Jesus says to them, uh, you know, who do you men say that I am? And they say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then they get all offended because he talks to them about um, taking his body, eating his body, drinking his blood. And they're like, oh my gosh, and all these disciples leave, right? A lot of the following leaves. And then Jesus says to the disciples, will you also leave? And they said, where can we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. When God speaks to you, things start getting created in your mind. Parts of your mind that didn't function before, they are created. They're new, right? And God wants us to think like he thinks. The more you think like he thinks, the more relationally you can relate to who he is. And he is something other than anything you thought you knew before. Okay, one mind, mind boggler here. Jesus says that I go to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verse one, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places and I go to prepare a place for you. What is he speaking of? The cross, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am in this constant communion relationship with the Father, you may be also. He wasn't talking about building you a house, you know, 1,800 square feet up in heaven somewhere, right? He's talking about relation. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. And then he goes on and he says that he, the spirit of truth will come and he will remind you of those things that I have told you. And he says, I must, and they say, where are you going? Where are you going? He says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And he says, well, tell us, Lord, where are you going? Where's the way? And he says, Philip, don't you know? Remember that conversation? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then he says to them, I must go so the Holy Spirit can come. All right, so here's the fun one. All the dialogue in your conversation is with one person, the Holy Spirit. 
when you get to eternity, there's this other side of the Godhead you don't even know. Jesus. We'll know him, but we won't know him. There is so much more beyond what our mind can comprehend of knowable relationship in this other person called the bridegroom, Jesus. And your mind in this life is trying to reach that place of just knowing him. There's a whole other side of God that you don't know. And he's trying not to conceal himself, but to awaken your mind to the reality of who he is. He says, I am the first and the last. There's a whole other side of him. Like, I don't know where my mind even fits that into my picture because you can always, we relationally try to bring into our cognitive thinking by what we know. But there's something other than what you know that exists. Like what you don't know that you don't know exists out there and is there's a person called Jesus that we have no idea. In the scriptures, you see after the resurrection, the disciples saw Jesus, they didn't even know who he was. He was something other than what he was in the human form. And not just a mistaken identity, but they didn't know who he was, that he was the Christ. When John sees him in Revelation, his face is on the ground. He's not even getting off the ground like this is Jesus. And just when you think maybe a billion years into that, you know him, then there's the father. And that's the rest of eternity. <laughs> like, his ways are unsearchable, right? That's what Paul says in Colossians. He says, oh, the depths of his riches, whose ways are past finding out. But he's willing to start us on this journey by saying, if you'll let my words come into your consciousness and begin to speak to you, I'll begin to make you see me for who I am. This whole time, the bride, we, you and I, are being prepared by the voice of one, the Holy Spirit, for the person of Jesus, right? And when you see him for he, who he is, everything in your inside of you is gonna say, I wanna be like that. And because we have this hope, we purify ourselves even as he is pure. That's what 1 John chapter three says. That when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. And everyone that has this hope will do what? Purify himself, even as he is pure. Just the whole mess of sin and bondage and cyclical falling in and falling out of grace, that whole mess, when that's all done away with, and you have just Jesus, what are the possibilities of relationship, experience, growth? I mean, like, when you let your mind go into that, I mean, where do you even go? That's where God's word starts coming in and says, this is what I dream about, right? I was, um, I was thinking uh, the other day before I went to bed, I'm a weird word thinker. <laughs> That's why I keep most of it to myself. Um, so I was just thinking, me and, me and the Lord were talking. I don't know what I was doing. I was sitting on the couch, just watching some TV show. Very spiritual. And I uh, <laughs> uh, just sitting watching TV, and then I was thinking, Lord, what will eternity be like a billion years into this? What will it even look like? I mean, sure, the first few million years, you're kind of still mesmerized, amazed, whatever, by heaven and the realm. 
But then heaven comes to earth after the millennial reign, and then we're here, and there's a new heaven and the new earth and whatever, and then, and uh, what will that even look like? You know, like, what does that even look I mean, some people have such a finite picture of eternity, like we're just a bunch of angels running around with harps, and, you know, I think it's going to be so much more intricately complex. And so I was thinking about just what will eternity look like when the new heaven comes, the new earth is here, and and Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's sitting on his throne, and the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God in Christ. That's what it says in the end of Revelation. What will that world look like? No sin, no devil, no, no human nature that's broken, like nothing, nothing that offends. That's what scripture says in Revelation. Nothing that offends. There'll be no sickness, no death, and Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. What will that look like? I can't imagine a world without problems. I mean, like, I'm really struggling here, you know? And so I went to bed, and I had this dream. And in my dream, I was there in that world. And it was like, it wasn't, and I've had dreams of heaven before, but it wasn't like pearly gates. It was like I was in this place, and everything was just like pristine color, like greenest greens I've ever seen, bluest blues I've ever seen, just pristine, pristine, pristine color. And I was walking through a field, and, and, and God was with me. I could sense his presence, but I couldn't see his form. He was just walking with me. And we were walking down some sidewalk, and even as I'm telling the story, I can picture it. We were walking down the sidewalk, and the grass was just green. You could see the sun in the distance or something in the distance, just bright light. And we were walking and just talking, like good old buddies talking. And then I was in my room, and I thought it was my room, and the color was, you know, it looked like kind of an African print, whatever, on the bed sheet and stuff. And, and I was looking, and then I looked up on top of the bed, and there was this picture, like a kid had drawn a picture of Jesus. And so I was talking to God. I don't know what we were talking about. We were just talking. And I looked at him, and I realized, looked at the picture, and I said, I haven't seen Jesus. And then the father began to say, that's my son. And I about started crying in the dream. because just the way he said, he said, that's my son. And I said, I want to see Jesus. And then we left the room and then I woke up. I was like, oh man, I should have stayed asleep. I'm going to see Jesus. <laughs> Our minds don't know what God has for us, but it's good. And the way to get our mind to even that place of comprehending the greatness of who he is, the intimacy he wants with us, it begins by letting his word come into our thinking. And listen, it sounds so simple. Open your Bible, read, let God talk to you. Write it down, memorize. But what you'll find is it's those simple little things, the simple disciplines of putting God's word in our heart that open incredible revelatory doorways. And I challenge you, listen, if you don't have a regular practice of getting God's word in you, memorizing God's word, allowing it to challenge your thinking, allowing it to challenge the way your behavior Listen, you're missing out. This is not about you being a good person. This is about you being like Jesus. That's where we're going. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us at icathedral.org or on social media via Instagram and Facebook. Or most easily, by downloading our app, Cathedral Church, in the app store of your choice. Until next time, keep living that not-so-normal Christian life. God bless you.